Welcome to the Holy Bible Study for Genesis chapter 7. Today we're continuing the narrative of Noah on the ark. And we are going to talk about how long he was on the ark for. Going to talk about how long the rain and the flood actually lasted. Going to talk about all the animals that were brought onto the ark. And we're also going to compare the ark of Noah to our Lord Jesus Christ and why the flood of Noah's day and Noah being evacuated out of that judgment is very comparable to the coming rapture in which us Christians will be evacuated from this earth before the seven-year tribulation begins before God judges the earth like he did in Noah's day so you don't want to miss a minute of this study enjoy it God bless y'all Godspeed. Genesis chapter 7 tonight, picking up with the flood narrative that we started in Genesis chapter 6, which is also going to continue into Genesis chapter 8. It's a three chapter narrative, so we're not going to finish the flood narrative tonight, but we're going to find that God is going to put them on the ark tonight. And we're going to find him talk about all the beasts that he's going to bring onto the ark. And God is going to bring the flood upon the earth in this chapter. Now before I get started, today in the colleges, and I always go back to this because today we live in a day and age where the modern atheist liberal professors at the colleges are indoctrinating all these young kids right out of high school to believe that you know, the Holy Bible is just a bunch of fables, it's a bunch of fairy tales, it's not true, and that evolution's real, and the Big Bang's real, and all these theories are real, which have millions of flaws in them. But meanwhile, the Holy Bible, which has never been disproven, has never been proven wrong, Satan wants to get the youth of today to believe the opposite, that the Bible's wrong, and that men are right, when it couldn't be more antithetical. God's right, men are wrong, 24-7, every day, 365 days a year, every day, every year, for the remainder of the earth. God is right, men are wrong. So, you college kids, you need to stop putting your faith and your hope for salvation and eternity in men, especially those who tell you God isn't real, or that, you know, there is nothing after this, or that everything you've ever heard about God isn't true. We know archaeologically, historically, they're wrong. The Word of God has always been backed up, whereas evolution, Big Bang, holes have been poked into those theories throughout history, and they have to keep um, revamping those theories to make the kids of today actually believe them and make them seem credible. So I've already shot down the Big Bang in these Genesis studies a lot. I've shot down evolution a lot. Now I want to shoot down all those who say that the flood didn't occur. Marine fossils have been discovered in the highest rock layers of the Grand Canyon, which happens to be over 7,000 feet above sea level. The marine fossils are also found high in the Himalayas, the world's tallest mountain range, which is up to 30,000 feet above sea level. How in the world can these atheist professors, or any unbelievers for that matter, explain how they got there outside of the flood narrative and our Bible's book of Genesis. There 
is no other logical explanation on planet Earth for such a phenomenon. So God's word is true because it gives the most logical and the best explanation that you can ever come to in this world today. There are also sea life fossils that have been found not only high above sea level, but that are very far from any body of water that we know of. And these have been discovered all across the known world, including in the United States. For instance, in Michigan, we have fossilized whales. In Ohio, fossilized sharks. In Wyoming, fossilized fish at over 7,000 feet above sea level. In Nebraska, 9,000 fossils of animals have been discovered that were pushed into the sediment by an enormous surge of water. So again, I tell you to ask your college professors or atheist family and friends to explain how all of that marine life got in the high and far off places where it most certainly does not belong. They cannot explain, they will not be able to explain. They will never be able to explain. The only place that they will ever find the answers is in the one place they don't want to look, and that's in our book, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, which they refuse to believe. So praise God, if you believe this, you know the truth. You know true history. But you may, unfortunately, if you just laugh at this and scoff at this, be one of the millions, if not billions, who believe man's word over God. And that never ends well, friends. So I hope tonight that this study will help bring you closer to God. And I hope His Spirit speaks to you and tells you this is the truth. What God said is true. What man says is false and is flawed. And I will forever again put my faith in God to get to heaven as opposed to men who don't even believe in him, who say there's really nothing after this. So you really want to put your faith in that? Go ahead. Feel free. Let's jump right in here, though, to chapter 7, verse 1. If you have your Holy Bible, open up. Genesis chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark, for you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, in the last chapter, I don't want to rehash it too much. I talked about why God saw Noah as righteous and what righteous in God's sight meant. It didn't mean he was perfect, even though God said in the previous chapter, only Noah did God, God find perfect upon all the inhabitants of earth. Like I said, the word perfect there, he wasn't sinless. But compared to every other human being on the earth, compared to how evil and wicked and corrupt they all were, Noah was perfect compared to them. Like me, say, okay, you put me in a room full of atheists and Satanists and God-mockers and God-haters, and God looks down on that room. He sees me beaming. He sees me as a shining light. He says, you know, that guy right there, only him have I found perfect in this room. Not because I'm not a sinner, but because my heart is perfect towards the Lord. Because my heart believes what he told me to believe. Because I do my best to live the way he told me to live. That is a perfect and clean heart to God. While you're not perfect and sinless, only Jesus Christ was perfect and sinless. We can be 
perfect in God's sight, after we get washed and cleansed in the perfect blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and live for Him, and walk with Him. Again, last week, Noah and Enoch walked with God. They were counted righteous in His sight. Enoch was taken out of the sinful world, raptured because of his faith. Noah is going to be preserved and kept out of the global flood that's going to come upon the whole earth because of his faith, because of his righteousness. We too, someday soon, are going to be taken up, just like Enoch was. We're going to be kept out of the Great Tribulation, just like Noah was. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, read it. The Greek there means out of, not through, not through the Tribulation, out of the Tribulation, Jesus said. I will keep you out of it altogether. If we have the faith of Enoch and Noah, we believe God's word, and we're faithful and looking and watching and expecting his return. And so we don't fall asleep like those in the days of Noah did, when they were eating and drinking and making merry and, and you know, just having sex and children and getting married and everything that people just do, everyday life. And they were living their secular lives and, and doing this and doing that. Until the flood came and swept them all away because... They had their eyes on the world. They didn't have their eyes on God and on his promises like Enoch and Noah did. If we keep our eyes on God's prophetic promises that his son is going to come back and rapture us out of this mess before all hell breaks loose on planet Earth, bet your bottom dollar, you're going up. If you don't believe it, if you think we Christians are going through the tribulation, you're going to be left behind. And you're going to wish you had taken God's word a little bit more seriously and stopped thinking with such a worldly mind. And speaking still on the subject of the rapture, right here in verse 1, the Lord said unto Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark. Into what? The thing he has made to keep Noah and his family out of the judgment, the ark. The ark is a symbol of Jesus Christ. If we Christians enter God's ark, we are kept out of the judgments of this world. Come you and all your house into the ark. The word come there is the same word that Jesus uses in the New Testament. If you remember, come you unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a great correlation there. The Bible interprets the Bible and is so great. That's why people who say we're New Testament only Christians, we don't read the Old Testament. Or, you know, the Jews say the New Testament's not true, we only read the Old Testament. Man, when you put it all together, you know the answers to everything. You get to know God and all His glory and His perfection and how He has weaved this whole book together. Dozens of different writers. Yet all of their words weave together to form one perfect book that seems to be put together by only one singular author. Because nothing contradicts itself. It all meshes together. And again, it was written upon thousands and thousands and thousands of years by many of different people. The only way we can explain that is when St. Peter said in his book, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit himself used chosen men of God to write what he wanted to write at every time period throughout history to put together this perfect book, the holiest book on planet Earth. Back to the Jesus verse. Come you, all that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come into the ark, 
Come unto me. Jesus is the ark symbolically for us. Now get this. When Jesus said, I will give you rest, do you know what the Hebrew word for rest is? Noah. Noah. How awesome is that? Again, it all connects. And again, you go to the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Holy Bible. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. God's making that invitation, just like he did to Noah. Come, come unto me. And the verse that I believe signifies the rapture of believers, the church, on earth before the seven-year tribulation begins, which I write about in this book. Come up hither. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Come up hither. God's giving the invitation. Come up here. Come unto me before I pour out my wrath upon the heathen and the unbelievers of the earth. Come, come, come. God's invitation all the way back in the book of Genesis is continued unto those who seek him with a pure heart, with a God-fearing heart. All the way through the last book of the Holy Bible, that invitation remains. Come, come, come unto me. Come to your God. I will protect you. I will shield you from the evil. I will keep you out of the judgments. I will keep you out of the evil. I will give you rest. I will give you Noah. It's awesome. One verse can tell us so much. All right. Of every clean beast you shall take unto you by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Now, a lot of people, they would flunk a Bible trivia course because a lot of times it's one or the other. They either remember the seven or they remember the two. So if you're on Jeopardy and they say, how many animals did Noah bring into the ark? Or how many of each kind did he bring into the ark? They'll say, what is seven? Or what is two? It's not true. He brought in two different numbers of two different kinds. So we find here of every clean beast, like lambs and sheep and goats, cattle, etc., you shall take unto you by sevens. So God wanted the clean beast brought in by sevens. Whereas the unclean are brought in by two, male and female. So you only have two of the unclean, seven of the clean. People say, well, why did God bring so many more of the clean in? It's not because they were righteous animals. Animals can't be righteous. It's because sacrifice. Sacrifice. Up until Jesus Christ came in the New Testament to be that Lamb of God, sacrifice for our sins once and for all, to put to naught, the idea that we needed to sacrifice animals on our behalf for sin anymore. He became that ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Up until he came, innocent blood was the only thing that could wash away sin. Obviously, God didn't want us slaying other human beings, because he hates hands that shed innocent blood of other human beings. So that can't be it. So it had to be the animals, and they had to be clean animals. Jesus was pure and undefiled. So he was an unblemished sheep, it says. An unblemished lamb. Excuse me, unblemished lamb. We're the sheep. He's the lamb. So Noah brought in seven of the clean so that he would be able to sacrifice unto God on behalf of his sins and the sins of his family once they exited the ark. And you're going to find, as we go forward, God didn't even need to tell him to. That's how close Noah was to God. Once he got off the ark, what did he do? He built an altar to God. He started to make sacrifices to God. Without God even asking him, he did it. Because he loved God that much. 
Don't you want to be that close to God that you already know what God wants before he tells you? It would be awesome. I mean, some days, some weeks, I'm good. I feel that. I'm like, you know what? The Lord didn't ask me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway just because I love him so much because of what he's done for me. But then other weeks, you know, I fail. I fall short. It's like, man, I should have did this for the Lord this week. Or I could have did this, and instead I did this. So we should always be striving, like I said, to walk with the Lord to the best of our abilities, like Noah, like Enoch. We want to be close to the Lord. And again, male and female, just like human beings. Male and female come together, produce offspring. That's how we keep the human race and the animal race going on. That's why God had them bring them out of the ark. That way, once they come off the ark, the animals can reproduce. And then that's how we get all the animals we have today. Because ever since the flood of Noah ended, that's when the creatures began to spread upon the earth again. But it just, again, it defeats the whole idea of, of same-sex marriage and men can love men and women can love women. Romans chapter 1 says it's unnatural. It's an unnatural union. It doesn't work. You can't produce offspring through two men and two women. So you could say love is love, but the more and more homosexuals we get in this world, the quicker the human race is going to die off. You see what I'm saying? Because you can't reproduce. Sure, they can, they can adopt, but, I mean, you can only adopt so many kids. So, put two and two together. It's obviously, it, God's showing you it's not right, it's wrong, so please repent and uh, try and get right with this holy God who loves you. Now, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. Now, also real quick on the clean and unclean, I explained already that we're given the laws of God through Moses and the Mosaic Law in the book of Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, etc. And he lays out what's clean, what's unclean. He tells you, you know, about tithing and everything else given to the Lord, this much, 10% of your, uh, you know, your increase. But I argue that Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Enoch, Noah and his family, they all knew God's law whether the Holy Spirit just put it inside of the righteous men of God, or if it was given to Adam and he handed it down, and then Moses was just the one to put it to paper. Because we find that they knew how to tithe, because both Cain and Abel were bringing offerings unto the Lord, and then we find here that God is saying there are clean and unclean beasts. How did Noah know? How did he know it was clean and unclean? He could see him coming into the ark, because God was the one who called all the animals to the ark. Don't believe all the little fairy tale books that are out there for kids, um, which, you know, you see Noah, you know, blowing a little flute, and he's bringing all the animals with him or whatnot, however he did it. God created the animals. He created us. If he wants to bring them to some place, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. God could say, okay, you be here. You be here. You come here. Um, if you go to a national park, and there's an earthquake, or there's a big disaster coming, You'll notice all the animals that are up in the high heights in the mountains and the hills will all come down when there's disaster, when there's something coming. They can sense it. You'll notice in the waters when there's like before big tsunamis or big earthquakes, a lot of the sharks and the dolphins and the um, sea life will move closer to shore. They sense something is coming. God gives them that sense. So I'm sure they all sense there was a big judgment flood coming. So he guided them all to the place of safety, to the ark. 
And if you don't believe that, you're like, oh, God can just bring them all there. Then you don't believe in God. He's God, for God's sakes. He's the God of miracles. If he can take, what is it, five loaves and two fish? I may be wrong there on the numbers, but if he can feed 5,000 people, which is that, because he multiplied it just with a snap of his fingers, how can he not bring all the animals of the world to one place? I mean, come on. You either believe in God or you don't. Just don't don't pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to believe. He's God. Come on, give him his credit where it's due. So he took fowls of the air also by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from the face of the earth. There's another common misconception among Christians that don't read their Holy Bibles or don't study it, that, you know, they've all heard the story of Noah. They're like, okay, yeah, so there was a flood for 40 days and 40 nights. There wasn't a flood for 40 days and 40 nights. There was a rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And you'll notice, like, say, in, in Louisiana or in Texas, when you get these big hurricanes and these big rainstorms that come through, it may rain for a week. But it takes a while for that actual flood water to finally reside. So imagine it raining for 40 days and 40 nights, how long it took that water to reside, especially when it reached the heights of mountains, the peaks of the mountains, how long it took that flood water to recede. I keep saying reside, recede would be the correct word. So the flood in its totality until Noah and his family could actually exit the ark, wasn't 40 days and 40 nights. It was well over a year. It was 371 days they were on that ark, until their foot set out of that ark. 371 days the flood lasted, or the, the judgment of the flood. And to me, again, I don't want to get into numerology. I've told you before I'm not into numerology, but you can't read the Holy Bible and ignore that God loves certain numbers. And there's not a lot of them, but there's a few that I just want to highlight. The seven, talked about that up and down throughout these studies. Number three, and the number 12. You can't read the Holy Bible front to back and not say that God doesn't have some kind of special love for these numbers. For whatever reason, we don't know. We'll find out one day in heaven. Seven, three, and 12, right? But when you take those numbers and you write them down, three, seven, one. And if you were to read those, say you would a word. Say, well, what does the 371 look like to you? If you flip it, just flip it whichever way you want. Flip the 371 around. And you're going to find there's a word there. It's a name. Eli. E-L-I. 371 upside down is E-L-I. Eli. Now, those of you who know your Old Testaments, I mean, excuse me, your New Testaments, That'll ring a bell if Jesus said something. He said when he was hanging on the cross, Eli, Eli, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, God at that time had to turn his back on Jesus. He had to forsake Jesus because otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have died that death for the sins of the world. I mean, God, again, could have sent down millions of angels to just wipe everybody out to put them on that cross and take them off the cross. But he didn't. He had to turn his back on him because him and Jesus both knew this had to be done for the salvation of man and to reconcile man unto him. But he said those words, Eli, Eli, which means, my God, my God. So I just find it interesting 
that the 371 is interchangeable with the word Eli, and that's how many days Noah and his family were on the ark. My God. They were in the vessel of protection that God had made for them to keep them out of the judgment. And the number of days they were in there is symbolic of my God, my protector, my guardian, my keeper. Hallelujah. I mean, so many little tidbits you find in the Holy Bible as you study it. So friends, don't just zip through it. Take your time with it. Pick apart the verses. Read commentaries. Watch, watch Bible studies. Watch four or five different guys to get just a uh, um, cornucopia of, of input and, and um, inspiration of the Spirit. Because sometimes he reveals certain things to different people. Now, obviously, if their revelations aren't backed up anywhere with the Word of God, and they're just like, well, God gave me this dream, He gave me this revelation. If it doesn't match up with the Holy Bible, throw it out. Don't believe it. But if it does match up, and you say, wow, this kind of ties in with this, or this ties in with this, keep it. Study it. Dwell on it. Teach it to others. Spread the Word of the Spirit, so the Spirit can cover the whole land someday. Okay, so... In seven days, God's saying, I'm going to cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days, 40 nights. Every living substance that I have made will I destroy off the face of the earth. Now, obviously speaking of everything except for Noah and his family, and everything except for all the animals that were already brought onto the ark. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord had commanded him. Again, we just hearken back to the last chapter, chapter 6, verse 22. That's the message I ended the last study with. Thus did Noah... According to all that God commanded him, so did he. We read it here again. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. How many of us can say that today? We can't even do half of what he commanded us to do. That's why we should just keep striving more and more each day, friends. Get in this book. Learn what's right to God. Learn what's wrong to God. Learn what he wants us to do, what he doesn't want us to do. And just do your best to do it. So at least someday you can say to God, hey, I did three quarters of all that God commanded me to do. I mean, obviously, none of us are going to do it all. None of us. St. Paul said we break one commandment, we break them all in the eyes of God. Thank God Jesus Christ kept them all for us. That's why we need to put our faith in Him to reconcile us to God and to get us to heaven. But at the same time, Jesus said, if you love me and you want to show your love for me and the Father in heaven, keep my commandments. They're not burdensome. And they're really not. They're only burdensome if you're living for the world. If you're living secular secular-minded, if you're living for the devil of lust and temptation, then the laws are hard to keep. But if you start growing closer to God, you're infused with this Holy Spirit, it'll get easier as you go. And they won't be burdensome to you. They'll actually be blessings unto you. The more you keep His laws and strive to keep His laws, the more blessings He will pour out into your life. Because it's a sign of your love for Him. You're not saved by it. You're not going to heaven by law-keeping. But it's a sign of your love for Him. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters were upon the earth. So if you remember in chapter 5, Noah was 500 years old. And he begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So this is about 100 years after he had had his three sons. That the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now we find here that there's eight people. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons. He gives us eight people. So that's it. 
I mean, there had to be millions of people on the earth at this time, maybe more. And only eight, only eight were counted righteous under God. And to me, honestly, I don't know if his family was righteous. I mean, I'm sure he raised them right. But to me, I think the family was saved because of Noah. Because only Noah is the one who's singled out here. I'm not saying his wife and his kids weren't good and their wives. But it just goes to show that there's a verse in the New Testament when the um, jailer is crying out to St. Paul. Um, St. Paul's in prison. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And St. Paul says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But he doesn't stop there. There's no period. He says, both you and your household shall be saved. So that to me means that some people's faith can be so powerful. You can believe in Jesus Christ so much. You can be so close to him. That because of your relationship with him, through his great mercy and the Father's great grace, they will make it so that your whole household can be saved. You know, before their dying breath, he's going to make sure that all of them confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they can go to heaven. Not because of any good deeds they've done. Not because they were close to God. Again, it may not be till their deathbed. But it's because you were so close to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, my blessing for you is going to be that your whole household, those close to you, your mother, your father, your sons, your daughters, they are going to be saved right along with you, you and your whole household, because of your faith in me. And that's what I think happened here. Noah was that close to God. He said, you bring your wives, your son's wives, with you on the ark to keep them alive. Noah went in and all of his family into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creep upon the earth. And went in. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days. <clears throat> so for that seven days was the loading process. Everybody got loaded on board. They could see a, sh a ship, cruise ship boarding. You know, they're all boarding however long that takes. I don't know, maybe 12 hours. They give everybody time to get on the cruise ship. And then they, you know, they close the hatch and they take off. Well, this was a seven-day period. Obviously, it's a lot of animals. I think it was something like 18,000 species needed to be brought onto the ark. There was room for, it's said to be, I think, 250,000 species on the ark. But I think historically they found there was only 18,000 that were actually needed to keep every species that we have on the earth now alive. So there was plenty of room, but it's going to take some time for all those animals to make their way out of the ark, two by two. So after seven days, and again, there's that seven. I said earlier, God and the number seven, you can't ignore it. They went in the ark, two and two, male and the females, God commanded Noah. It came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep opened excuse me, broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Real quick, again, to anybody who says this is a fable, it's just another fairy tale, like I've explained in teachings before, people that say that Adam, Eve, Noah, David, they were all just characters in a fable. They weren't real people. They never really lived. Even though we have archaeological proof that they did, in parables, God never gave names. It's either the son, or the daughter, or the virgin, or the rich man, or the poor man. 
He never named people in parables, which would be considered fables, inspirational tales. But he gave us names in genealogies, in years of life, for everyone in the Holy Bible. It means they really lived, friends. Either you believe God or you don't. And here, if you want to know if the flood was real or not, he tells you exactly in what year of life it came in Noah's day. And it tells you in exactly what month, on exactly what day, all this happened. 17th day of the second month. If this was just a fable or fairy tale, that wouldn't be there. There's a reason for it. God wants you to know this is history. Like we look back today on a calendar and say, okay, May 14th, 1948. I wasn't there. I wasn't even born yet. But somebody who was there recorded it and said, you know what? On May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. June, I believe, was 5th, 1967. Israel retook Jerusalem. I wasn't born yet. But I know it's fact. I know it's history because the people that were there recorded it because it was an important event. And they said, in this day, this happened. God's saying, in the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened in the second month, in the 17th day of the month. There you go. Mark it on your calendars. It happened. I mean, you have to go back a long way on those calendars, but it happened. Another thing I want you to understand, the water just wasn't coming from heaven. <clears throat> a lot of people misunderstand that. That's why there was so much water on the earth. It wasn't just the rain that caused the water to rise up to the mountains. It says, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. Now, now we read something like that. I want to say, I believe it was in... Verse, yes, verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis. Remember that verse? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Remember what I told you? The face of the deep was known as the abyss. And we read about the abyss in, I believe, Ezekiel. We read about the abyss in the book of Revelation. That's that pit near Babylon where all the evil spirits come and go from. Well, so that word here, the deep here, also means the abyss. So when you read that, Chapter 7, foundations of the abyss were broken up. So that pit in the ground, they were broken up like, like a huge earthquake and water sprouted out. How do we know there was water in the ground at that time? You go back to Genesis chapter 2. There hadn't been rain on the earth yet until this point when God brings rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights in Noah's day in the 600th year of his life. There had not been rain yet up until this point. The way everything, all the plants and the trees were getting watered was, Genesis 2 tells us, there was a great mist that was coming up out of the earth, watering everything. So we know there was water under the earth. So when the abyss, the deep, was broken up, not only was water coming from above, but water was coming from below. So you got to picture that. That was the flood. That's how the whole earth got flooded, and the windows of heaven were open. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. Again, creepeth thing, if you haven't read past Bible studies or haven't listened to them, excuse me, those are insects. And every fowl after his kind, fowls are birds, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah, unto the ark, 
two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life, male and female. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Many people. We'll just zip through these chapters. They went in, male and female, God had commanded him. The Lord shut him in. The flood was 40 days upon the earth. Oh, just zip right through it. We know the story, you know. Man, but there's so many powerful little tidbits in here that if you really take your time with it, it's powerful spiritually. It'll help your spiritual growth. They went in unto Noah, into the ark, two and two of all flesh, one is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Get that. Noah didn't get everybody in there and then shut the door and say, okay. The Lord himself shut them in to protect them and shield them and said, okay, now I'm shutting the door. You guys are in. You're under the hedge of my protection. You're going to be protected through this judgment. So again, he kept them out of it. Now, when the tribulation comes, we Christians are not out and about on this earth. Don't believe it. We're not left behind. We're not, I'm not a post-tribulation Christian. It's just it doesn't add up biblically. I've said before, I'm so pre-tribulation, like Jack Van Impey said, I don't eat post-toasties anymore. Because you just, you can't read the whole Holy Bible and understand God's nature and feel that he's going to leave you behind to be punished with all the heathen of the earth who disobeyed him and didn't believe in his son and mocked him and mock his judgments and curse him. It doesn't make any sense. So God is going to shut us in to his veil of protection out of the tribulation hour. And that veil of protection he shuts us in is the arms of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes down from heaven to take us up to heaven in the twinkling of an eye. So God will keep us out of that tribulation. He will shut us in to the hands of his son Jesus Christ. He will close us and he will enclose us in his hands. Now, also, the bad part about this verse for the unbelievers, it speaks to the unbelievers who are going to be left behind also, and the Lord shut him in. He shut Noah and his family and all that had the breath of life that were commanded to be brought in the ark. He shut them in to the ark of protection. Jesus Christ. We are shut in. The outside world can't get in. The door's shut. You can knock all you want now. You do not want to be left behind. Alright, and the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went up upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land, died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Now, the flood judgment until Noah and his family could actually exit the ark safely. 
and walk out of the ark was 371 days they were shut in the ark. Now, the waters rained down from heaven for 40 days and 40 nights. They prevailed upon the earth 150 days, but Noah and his family couldn't exit the ark after 150 days. You may ask, well, why? Why would they sit on the ark for another half a year and more? That 371 days, why in the world? Have you ever seen a flood? you ever seen a week's worth of rain in your backyard? And there's a stick out there and you just run out there after the rains have stopped. You go try and get that stick out of your yard. You know what's going to happen? The more you get into where that puddle, huge puddle of water was there for a week, you're going to start sinking. Kind of like that quicksand feel, all that mud. Imagine how much mud and quicksand was on the earth at this time. Because not only was it a week's worth of rain, it wasn't just 40 days or 40 nights worth of rain on the earth. 150 days the water was upon the base of the earth. So once that came down, you're not walking out of that ark. That's why it took almost a whole another half a year, more than half a year, so Noah could safely walk out. Because, I mean, if you walked out after 150 days, it's like a cartoon where you see just the characters go right through the ground. That's what it would be, that the ground would have been like air to him. He would have sunk right through. Who knows how far down he would have went. So... We're going to find in the coming chapter that they were on there for 371 days. We're going to talk about the rest of the flood narrative next week. And the message I want to leave you all with today to meditate on this week is, are you going to miss the boat? Are your loved ones going to miss the boat? Are you ignoring for whatever reason because of your love of the world or because of your fear of, of getting too into this word or too close to God that it may pull you away from your comforts of this world and the lessons and temptations you've become so accustomed to. I know, I've been there. It's hard. I'm telling you, I've played on both sides of the fence, kid. This, this life is far better, far more rewarding than anything the world can ever give you. So the door is open, wide open. I mean, friends, most doors you're looking at okay. The door leading to Jesus Christ right now as we speak in your life is like this. Because his arms are outspread. He's saying, come. Come unto me. While the door is open, come. And I tell you, as we get closer to the seven-year tribulation, as we draw near to when God's judgments are going to finally come down before Jesus takes us up and he shuts that door on the rest of the world and say, okay, this ark's leaving. Anybody who didn't come see me is not going up. I'm telling you, as we get closer, that door I just showed you with his arms outstretched, it's going to start to tighten. And instead of Jesus saying, come, come on to me, he's going to start saying, come, come. He's going to start like when someone's rushing you, say, in, for instance, in a flood or in a disaster, and if you don't run really quick, you're going to get swept away. You know, your loved one or whoever is saying, hurry up, hurry up. Uh, to me, that's Jesus right now. That door is closing, friends. You don't want it to slam shut in your face. And you won't have any way to blame for yourself. You can say, oh, that's so mean. God shut the door in my face. No. Right now, tonight, he's saying, come, all you sinners. I don't care how much you've sinned, how bad it was in your own sight, how many times you've committed it. I don't care. I love you. Come to me. We'll start fresh. I'll wash you and cleanse you in my blood. And you can be a new creation tonight. But don't wait. You wait, you're going to be stuck in your sin, and you're going to go through the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. Ever seen.
You think it's bad now? Coronavirus and these earthquakes and tornadoes and everything else? Friends, imagine that 24-7, non-stop, every minute of every day. It's going to be that bad. Want to be here for that? Or do you want to come running right now as we speak to your Lord with open arms who wants to hug you and embrace you and say, I'm so glad you finally came to me. Now you're safe. You're protected. I'm going to shut you into my ark of love and I'm going to take you up to heaven with me in the rapture before all that happens because you came to me. You answered my call to come. 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 Tonight. So that you can come up hither real soon. That'll do it for this Holy Bible study. Next time we continue with the narrative of Noah. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And until next time, God bless you all.